Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. I want to just give you a quick announcement here before we jump into the message. Um, you, you noticed that we prayed for Pastor Brady Boyd down in uh, Colorado Springs at New Life Church this morning, and that's a little bit outside of our uh, sphere that we usually pray for. So for those of you who are here every Sunday, you know that we pray for a local church every single Sunday. That's a value we have here that we lift up other churches. We pray blessing over other churches. We know that we are on the same team as team local church, team Jesus in our area. It's not us versus them. We are, we are trying to all push the same ball down the same field and score the same goal. You know what I'm saying? And so we prayed for Pastor Brady, though, because over the last year, uh, I have find, found myself getting to sit down and have a couple of conversations with him over lunch. Um, I, I sent him an email, and I was like, hey, would you want to meet up for lunch? And he was like, sure. And I was like, what? He's saying yes. Uh, New Life Church is, is like a 10,000-plus member uh, congregation church. Uh, he, is, he is a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal pastor, a phenomenal communicator, and he's also an author of several books that you could check out. We'll plug some more of that in the weeks to come. But uh, Brady actually came on as one of our overseers in the last couple weeks, and so we are thrilled about that. Um, just so you kind of are aware, like that's, that's, a, that's an authority figure that I have in my life just to, to keep me from acting a fool, or if I'm doing something that seems shady, the overseers get called then they vow to love Good Shepherd and love me enough to make sure that we're making good decisions around here. So I actually don't, I don't actually run from authority. Like maybe a lot of the world is kind of structured to work right now is getting out from under authority. But I actually, I think, and we believe here at Good Shepherd that good, godly, God-honoring authority is something we should run towards. And we should be eager to get under good, godly authority. And so he is an overseer and he's also, this is super exciting, he's coming to preach in two Week. So he's going to be here preaching with us on Sunday, April 18th. You definitely want to mark your calendar, be here that morning. Uh, he's an awesome guy, and it's going to be great to have him in our house, getting to meet us as a church family and be here with us. Cool? Cool. Easter. Here we are. Here's what it's about. Revelation chapter 1. John is getting this picture of Jesus, and the first things that Jesus is going to say to him is, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Come on, somebody. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate. That's what it's all about this morning, that we don't, just like Caden was reading during worship, we don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God who conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He rose up out of the tomb, and he is alive today. Amen? Amen. Amen. I was driving home from soccer practice this week with my son Harrison. Uh, we're, now, we're now in the youth sports phase of our life, which I'm not really sure how I feel about that. It's a little nerve-wracking to me. Uh, but we had practice on Monday night, and I'm driving Harrison home. It's just the two of I, my seven-year-old son. And, you know, I'm, I've, I noticed some things during soccer practice. Like, I saw a couple things that I, I fear if I didn't address this tendency now, you know, who knows when it'll ever get corrected. You know what I'm saying? So as the dad, I'm like, hey, I need to give you a little feedback, bud. Like, if, you're, if your coach says, come here, on me, like, you, man, you sprint to her. Like, you run after that coach. You get there as quick as you possibly can. I also noticed when she was talking, you were talking. That, like, may that never be again. When she is talking, you are just, you are locked in right there. And you pay attention to her and her alone. Whatever she says, you do. She said jump. You say how high. She says run. You say how fast. Like, you listen to your coach. And I have, I'm, I'm in the middle of talking. I'm, I'm laying into him, right? Like, not really laying into him, but I'm doing, I'm a pastor. So you can only imagine how much I talk to my kids about life application stuff as we go about just, like, doing driving and stuff like that. And I have this, like, out-of-body moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm my dad. I, I... <laughs> 
I might like, when did this happen? Like, I, I, I am giving my son advice. He's sitting in the backseat. He's not even listening to me, probably. He's just like looking out the window. Like, he's just watching different things happen. Not even paying attention to me. I'm like, this is what you should have been working on with your soccer coach and with me right now. But anyways, I'm having this second where I'm like, wow. I, like, I, I thought I'd never be this guy. I thought I was young and, and cool. And, and, and yet here I am. I'm a, I'm a dad and I'm doing things that my dad did that I swore like I would never do because, you know, it's a dad. And like, come on, dad, you just give me advice. Like, what do you know about my life, right? And so every parent in the room, you've tried to give your kid advice at some point, and it's because you have perspective. It's because you have perspective. Perspective is the way that you see. It's the way that you perceive. You have an understanding of something. You have, a, you have a viewpoint for something that maybe other people don't share. And so, like, okay, come on, like, parents, this is going to make you, like, viscerally just angry for a second. But perspective is something that when you have it, um, nobody wants it from you. (laughs) And when you don't have it, you're convinced you don't need it from anyone else. And so I'm having this kind of, like, revelation, you know, like the Holy Spirit's meeting me in a moment driving in my car. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, this, this is what happens with our faith where God has given us a perspective on how to live our life. He's given us a viewpoint on how to live and how to worship him and how to honor him and how to be obedient to him. And we have chosen with our three and a half pound human brain against the king of the universe who authored all of life into existence. He spoke, he opened his mouth and the the creation just fell out of his mouth and it's still expanding in every direction to this day. That's how awesome, that's how powerful, that's how majestic he is. And me and my little pea-sized brain, I'm saying, I don't really know if you know how to tell me about my money, God. I don't know if you really can teach me anything about my relationships. I don't know if I want to follow after that because I want to do this because it feels good and I don't really want to listen to you in this area. And what we do is we take our perspective on life and we, instead of worshiping him who has given us life, we worship ourselves in our own lives. And we go, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to do the things that, that feel good to me, that seem good to me. And yes, God, okay, I know that you are, you are not just uh, aware of the future, but the future is actually a place that you inhabit. Like he can't visit the future because he's already there. Like that'll just, that'll just twist up your mind for a second, right? Like he's outside of time and space. He has unlimited perspective of your life. And we go, I don't know, I'm not sold. I kind of want to do my own thing here. And in the same way that like Haven, she's three, my daughter, my youngest daughter, you know, every morning, what does she want? She wants like brownies and cookies for breakfast. I'm like, listen, you, you didn't even sleep hardly. Like you woke up at 445 this morning. If I give you brownies right now, it's going to be an absolute nightmare at lunch. Like it's already going to be a nightmare. It's going to be that much worse. But she doesn't have perspective because she's three. And that's, I think, what we look like sometimes when we're trying to tell God how we best can live our lives. Because he has this viewpoint for us. And his viewpoint for us, what he's calling us into, the invitation that he's extending to us and what Easter is all about is he's offering us abundant life, everlasting life, life to the full. And that's the offer that's on the table this morning. And to get to it, I want to look at two different pictures, two different pictures. One is, one is the occupied cross and one is the empty tomb. We have to look at both on Easter. We have to consider the cross and we have to consider the implications of the empty tomb. Open up with me to Luke chapter 23. If you have your Bible with you, if you don't, we don't want you to feel out of place. Um, so we're going to put them up on the screen. As we're turning there, uh, just I'm aware of a few different kinds of people in the room. So I think on any, any given Sunday, but especially on Easter Sunday, what we're going to have is we're going to have people who are wholeheartedly following after Jesus that are gathered in worship and in reflection of who he has been in our lives. And we come in this overflowing excitement. Like, I, 
I, I've never taken uh, any sort of illicit drug before, but I've kind of just felt like I've been on an upper all week, like just waiting for Sunday, like just kind of like, ah, just get me, like I just can't wait for this morning because I understand all of what it means. Jesus has changed my life. His resurrection, his crucifixion aren't just ideas to me. They are, they are things that mark how I live my life. They have things that have like reset the trajectory that my life was on. I'm a different person than I used to be. And so, like, there's a lot of you that's sitting here on, on Easter Sunday, and you go, that's who I'm here for. I'm here for him. He's changed everything for me. There are others of you, uh, you're just more nominal in your faith. Like, Jesus has just been a kind of sidecar that you've tried to add on to your faith. And just similar to how you would do uh, yoga on Thursday morning, you do church on Sunday morning. It's just kind of something that you do. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you are just, you haven't been here since Christmas. You're here on Easter now, and you're just kind of attending. You're going, this is just what we do on Easter Sunday. We go to church. And maybe you're kind of in this like uh, quest to be just a little more moral than, I don't know, your neighbor or your boss or your sister or someone that you're just feeling competitive with. And so you show up to church because you're convinced that it's going to make you a more moral person. It's going to make you more righteous. But ultimately, like Jesus and building your life on him is not something that you've actually done. You've tried to just add Jesus as a sidecar to the life that you want to maintain as your own. And that's some of you this morning. The word in the Bible would be uh, lukewarm. Your faith's not hot. Your faith's not cold. Like you're aware that there's a God up there, but, but you're not really pressing in. Maybe you want to, and you just don't know how. Maybe you convince yourself every time you walk away from an Easter service, a Christmas service, that you want to be the kind of person who keeps showing up, who keeps pressing in, who's hungry for more, but it just isn't happening. The third person that I want to just address is the person in the room that's the skeptic, the non-believer. You don't, you don't, you're not believing that any of this is really real, but you're here. Maybe you want to make a wife, uh, a husband happy. Maybe you want to uh, just show uh, your kids a good moral upbringing so you bring them to church. There's, there, there are people in this room probably that like, you, don't, you don't know Jesus and you're not convinced he's there, um, and you're just here because you're here. And I just want to say to you, welcome. I'm glad you're here. You could be doing literally anything on this Sunday morning. It's beautiful outside. It's going to be 80 degrees, today, 80 degrees today. You could be anywhere, but you're sitting in this church. And the invitation that I want to give all three of those parties this morning, whether you're dialed in, red hot, firing after, following after Jesus with all of your heart, whether you're nominal or lukewarm in your faith, or whether you don't believe any of this is real, the invitation that I want to lay before you is abundant life, everlasting life. So Luke chapter 22 starts with his crucifixion. Two others who were criminals uh, were led away to be put to death with him, him being Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. Roman crucifixion, what we learn about it from the other gospels, what we know from history is that Roman crucifixion would have involved Jesus being beat, him being whipped, his back probably being ripped to shreds from the torture that he endured. He would have been stripped naked. He would have had a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He would have been mocked and punched and beat up, and, and they would have been making a fool out of Jesus. As they said, save yourself, king of the Jews. Can't you tell who's hitting you? Can't you prophesy who's going to punch you next? And they beat him up, and they embarrass him, they strip him naked, and he takes this cross, and he goes up to the hill that is called the skull. And that's where they crucify him. That's where they lay him down on this piece of wood, and they drive nails through his hands, nails through his feet, and they prop him up, and he has to fight for every, every gasp of air as he dies. And you should feel this right now, the heaviness, the weight, because that's the punishment that you and I deserved. That's the punishment that he took from us. So he goes to the cross and he's crucified, cru crucified with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, 
saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him saying, do not fear God. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed deserve this. Like we're here justly for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man referring to Jesus has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What I love about the second thief is he doesn't get baptized. He doesn't go to church ever. And and so for all those maybe lingering questions you've had as someone who pronounces faith right at the very end, that's what this guy did. And Jesus says, surely I'm going to see you in paradise in just a little bit. It's beautiful, isn't it? It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last and he died. And he died. And man, like you should see your guys' faces right now. You're like, this is an Easter? Like, are we supposed to talk about the resurrection? Shouldn't we be a little more happy this morning? We, we, can't, we can't get to the celebration until we understand the magnitude of what it cost. Like Jesus laid his life down. And there's two implications that I want to talk about that, that come with the crucifixion. The cross displays the severity of sin through death, but the empty tomb is the invitation to live an abundant life. The, the cross displays the severity of sin. Sin being our rebellion, your rebellion, my rebellion against the way that God has ordered the world to work. So God has, God has authored all of life. He, he spoke, he opened his mouth, he put everything into motion. And, and in human beings, what we have done, every single one of us, is we've joined in this rebellion against God's good, right rule in the way that the world is supposed to work. And we've, and we've taken this perspective on life where we say, you know what? I think I would know better than God would know. And we, tr- and we do these different things. I think this would feel better for me than what God is saying would be better for me. And so I'm going to do this thing that feels good. I'm going to do this thing that I want to do. And we make ourselves the Lord of our own life. And all of that is sin. And God hates sin. He hates sin. You cannot get the message twisted this morning. God hates sin. And the good news of what just happened in Luke chapter 23 is that God paid the penalty for sin that was on us. God, God went to the cross voluntarily. That's, that's profound. Like if you, you, you see this in the scripture that we just read, where, where the Roman rulers, the authorities, they're saying, save yourself. Can't you save yourself? And Jesus, even before this, he had said, listen, if I wanted to, I could get out of this in a second. I could open my mouth and there would be a thousand angels who would come down and rescue me. And so he chose to go to the cross. He voluntarily endured this death. Why? Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you and because he loves me. And the reason that he hates sin so much is because it is the very thing that separates him from the creation that he loves most. So sin has created this chasm. It's created this rift in between you and I and God. There's this gap there. But what, but what Jesus does on the cross is he fully pays the payment for our sin. In the, in the Gospel of John, it, it captures some of Jesus' words where he says, it is finished. It is finished. And that word finished is an accounting term. Man, how many of y'all thought we were going to talk about accounting on Easter Sunday, right? This, this idea that the debt has now been reconciled. The balance sheet is zero. It is finished. It is done. So now you and I, because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we have our sins forgiven. 
So that when Jesus now sees you, he does not see your past. He doesn't see that mistake you made. He doesn't see your history. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ on you. I just did my first wedding. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, I did my first wedding. Uh, about, it was about a week ago. We were in this room right here. And, and what's beautiful about every single wedding, you know it, right? Um, as soon as that moment when, when the, the mother of the bride stands up, and everybody else stands up, right? And we all like, with, like look back to see the bride opening the doors and the bride walks in in this, per- this perfect, beautiful wedding dress. The wedding dress that a bride wears is immaculate. It's spotless. It's perfect. It's clean. It doesn't have a wrinkle that's in the wrong spot. It is, it is as beautiful as it could possibly be. And this picture that that's supposed to roll our minds up to is not to go, oh my gosh, she looks so pretty. It's meant to go, oh my gosh, this is the gift that God has given me. God has given you the righteousness of Christ. And there's so much language in the Bible that says your righteousness on your own effort, the things you try and do on your own, like try and be a better person. I'm just going to try and be, I'm just going to try and be a little more moral, a little more upright than my neighbor, my my whatever friend, my Democrat friend, my Republican friend. Like I'm just going to be a little bit better person than those people. And God says that righteousness on your own effort are like filthy rags before God. God won't be in the presence of filthy rags. And so the, the, the New Testament language picks this picture of Jesus being the bridegroom and he's preparing his bride, his church, you and me. And he's putting on us this spotless, beautiful, immaculate outfit that is fit for a wedding. And so when God sees you because of the cross, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees you adorned that way, not in the rags, in the, in the, in the outfit that you put on yourself. He sees you in that outfit. And so the bill has been paid, but the second, second implication of the cross is now that the gap between you and I and the God that we serve is now eliminated. Did you, did you hear it as we read through that the veil had been torn? There's this veil that divided uh, the temple between the, the innermost part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. And, and there was this curtain that hung between there and you could not go in there unless you were perfectly clean. But now the curtain, the veil that separated uh, the most holy, perfect God from his creation was ripped. And that's, that's significant. It's not just like, oh my gosh, there was an earthquake and some stuff fell apart. No, the curtain has been torn. The presence of God is now available to you and I. We don't have to, we don't have to do this like righteous cleansing act. God has given us that in Jesus. He has paid for our sins. And so now we get to step in confidently, boldly into the throne room of God. We get to make prayers. We get to plea. We get to have this relationship with him that is now restored. So the gap between you and I and the God we serve is now eliminated. And that's, that's the cross. And hear me, it's not the full story of Christianity. It, it's a necessary part, and we cannot make too much of what happened on the cross. But we also don't want to make too little of what happened with the resurrection. Because we're not just crucifixion people, we're resurrection people. So here, here's what happens, is so many Christians, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you for a second, Christians, in the room. What we tend to do is we tend to make Christianity mostly about the cross. And we focus mostly on our behavior and we focus mostly on how, oh my gosh, I'm still sinning. I'm still struggling in this area. I need to put these different things in my life so that I'm not struggling as much anymore. I really need to clean myself up. And at worst, what you're saying is, I need to clean myself a little bit up so that, so that I need to clean myself up a little bit more so that God will love me more. And, and that's not what you've been saved for. Listen, we've been saved from sin, but there's also something that we've been saved for. We've been saved for resurrection life. Because, because hey, The tomb is empty. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered the grave. What Jesus promised in the garden when he said, I'm going to crush the head of that snake, that's what Easter Sunday is. That he curb stomped the devil and knocked his head off. 
That's what's going on this morning. That's why there's so many of us that are so excited. Your Christianity is not meant to just be so focused on what you've been saved from. You're supposed to live your life knowing what you've been saved for. You got to know what you've been saved for. The resurrection life, the resurrection power is what you've been saved for. Yes, we've been saved from sin. We cannot make too much of the cross of Christ. It's beautiful. We should come on Good Friday. We should marvel at the cross. We also should understand the power that's available in the resurrection. So what power is available in the resurrection? I love that you asked that question because that's actually the next point in my notes. Uh, Let's go to Luke 24 now to read the account of the resurrection. If you're in your Bible, it's, it's... It's just right there. It's very convenient. Uh, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, Caden read this during worship. I loved it. I love it. They went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They They were going, preparing to mourn some more. They were going, preparing to grieve some more. They were not anticipating what was about to happen. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. He is risen. Jesus has come back from the grave. He, he has defied all the odds. Everything that we look at, we see as natural with the human life. We would just say that death happens. Death happens. But in the resurrection, Jesus shows that he has the power over death. So, um, so I did my first funeral, or I'm sorry, I did my first wedding a week ago. I've also done, I've done a bunch of funerals though. Like I've done like six or seven funerals and they've all been terrible. The most recent one I did uh, was a young gal, actually a friend of the families for Katie and I. And, and uh, she was a gal who was, who was born on the very same day, same birthday, August 10th, 1990. She was 30 years old and she, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer when she was 14. Uh, she battled that cancer and won several times, but ultimately it took her life this year, just a few days after Christmas in 2020. And we sat here at her funeral, and there's a part of you that just understands that death is the natural process of the world that we live in. Death is like, I think everyone in this room on some level, you're aware of the fact that ultimately you will take your last breath here on earth and we're all going to die. And as I sit there at that funeral, uh, I don't know if you do this ever when you're at a funeral, I start to almost plan my own funeral. Like, I just try, I see the burden, I see the pain that the family's in. I go, I don't want my wife to have to deal with that. Should I go earlier? Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna start planning my funeral. I wanna start helping with that. I wanna know what it's gonna look like. And because and th- there's just this, this brutal reality when you sit at a funeral that says, this is, this is the inevitable fate of us all. But there's also something in your soul, is there not, that just grates when you're at a funeral saying, this shouldn't be this way. So, at the one hand, we, we know that it's natural. And we know that like the world has death involved in it. I think that's one of the reasons why we get so excited about Easter and we put flowers out because we understand that like part of what's beautiful about this time of year is the world's coming back to life. There's new life birthing from the ground. Like it's just exciting. But we know that it's this cycle. And as I sat there, uh, you go, oh my gosh, of course this happened, but this should have never happened. Because every single one of us, no matter who you are in this room, whether you believe, whether you don't believe, whether you've been a Christian for, um, for, for 50 years, every single one of us were made in the image of God and so we have this, what Ecclesiastes writes, like we have, this, we have this thumbprint of eternity on our hearts. And we understand that actually death is, death is not natural. The Bible actually paints a very contrary picture to death being natural. It says that life is what's natural and death is actually what's unnatural. And so when Jesus rises out of the grave, even though the women who go are perplexed, it's almost as if Jesus is saying to us, this is, what's, this is what was natural. This is what was meant to be all along. Because in the garden, before sin fractured humanity, before sin fractured creation, there was no death. 
There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was only life. Life is what is natural. Sin has made death natural. But what Jesus has done now, he's began to usher in a new age where death has been defeated. And now as a believer, as someone who has put their faith in Jesus, I can say things like, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because I know that though this body may fail me one day and I may take my last breath here on earth, my soul is finally, fully, and forever gonna be saved and reconciled with Jesus for the rest of eternity. And that's what the resurrection power shows us, is that death has been defeated. It's not just death that's been defeated, it's also sin that's been defeated and left in the grave. So, so sin, even though I'm still going to choose it from time to time, even though I'm still going to give myself over to sin from time to time, what, what the resurrection shows us is there is a power that is above sin. If, if there was still sin that Jesus didn't take care of on the cross, he would still be in the grave. But because he has resurrected, means he's paid for every sin, past present, future sins. He's already paid for the mistakes that you don't even know that you're going to make yet. He's paid for it all. He's triumphantly risen from the grave. And now what he does is he sends his Holy Spirit so that I might be empowered and sustained by this presence of God. And what that gives me is that gives me now the power that even though sin might call and I might be tempted, I don't have to pick up the phone. And so I just want to say for some of you that you have this nagging, persistent sin in your life and you know that it's wrong. You know that you shouldn't be entering into it. You know that you, you, you promised the last time you did it that you were never going to do it again, but you did it again. My first encouragement would be Christ has paid for that. And though that may be what you did, that is not who you are. My second encouragement would be the more that you can surrender your life to who Jesus is as a person and be reconciled to him in relationship and have this relationship where you actually don't see him as a religious set of rules to adhere to, but a relationship to engage with, you can actually experience what I would just call inward transformation where you can actually start to have your desires remade. You can have, start to have the things that you care about and the things that you love start to shift in your heart so that, that that paltry looking sin doesn't look like that anymore to you because you've stared in, you've gazed upon the inward beauty of your creator. And you're saying, that's what I'm after. That's who I want. I don't want this. Are you kidding me? That? That's nothing compared to him. That's the offer that's available to you in the resurrection is victory over sin victory over sin. There's, there's other things that we have because of the resurrection. There's victory over sickness. There's victory over pain. Um, but the main thing that I want to land on here is that, that what we miss all too often when we talk about Christianity and we talk about faith is you miss the fact that we've been saved to participate in bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. So, so we tend to think that what Christianity is mostly, it's about showing up at church, maybe giving some money when they do an offering, Maybe it's about having some Christian friends, doing Christian things, and not doing things that aren't Christian. You have a whole list of behaviors that you have built out in your mind that you say, I don't do that. I got to do these things. That's what makes me a Christian. I'll say, that's not, that, your behavior is not what makes you a Christian. The thing that Christianity is primarily about is you participating in bringing the kingdom of God, bringing God's rule and God's reign and God's order back into the world that we live in. And so now as the, Holy, as the Holy Spirit gets inside of me, I get to have things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control coming out of me. And, and, and those aren't qualities that you can just say the earth has in spades right now. Am I right? You're going, man, okay, I don't see a lot of patience out there in the world we're living in. I don't see a lot of kindness. I see a lot of, man, I think a lot of us have felt it this year. I think this last year has maybe been one of the more tense years I've ever, I've ever experienced as a human. My family divided on certain issues. Church people divided on certain issues. But there are things, there are things like masks getting in between families of people, y'all. 
right? Some of you feel it right now on this holiday because there are people that you're not gathering with because of the way that you differ on certain things. And we've been so tense, we've been so divided. And what the church exists, I love this quote from Karl Barth. He says, what the church exists for is to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner. So yeah, the world's gonna act like the world. Yeah, the world's gonna act and they're gonna do certain things, but that's not what the church is called to. We're called to be radically dissimilar to the way the world works. And we set up, we act in a way which contradicts the world's own manner in a way that is full of promise. You were created to bring hope into the world. You were created to speak peace into broken circumstances. You were created to bring life with you wherever you went. This is the power of the resurrection because Jesus did not just do a resurrection. He is the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you're going to come to me, though you may die, you will live. You will live. It's not something that he just did one time. It's something that we get to walk in daily now. We get to live in resurrection power. We get to participate in bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world that we're living in. That's what Christians have been saved for. That's the opportunity that's in front of all of us. It is so much a boring version of Christianity if you want to make it all about you behaving better. And that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about you participating in the redemptive nature of your God, bringing resurrection life. Yeah, like, okay, I know that relationship's struggling right now. I know you have that friend who's walking in that behavior that you don't want to see anymore. I, I know, like, you have these pieces where you look at it and it's broken. Your call is not just to say, oh my gosh, it's broken. Too bad they don't go to church. Your job is to go, that's where I'm supposed to go. That's where I'm called. I get to go and I get to speak hope. I get to speak love. I get to speak joy. I get to speak peace into that circumstance. That's, that's the story we're invited into. We cannot just make Christianity about the cross. We cannot just make it about the resurrection. We have to understand the cost of our sin, but we also have to understand the power that's available to us in abundant life. And listen, like I, I know, I know that right now I'm having a conversation with basically my seven-year-old son in the back seat. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, your perspective for my life, bro, no thanks. Every, every kid's felt that way. Every parent's felt that way with their, trying to talk to their kid. And, and kids in the room, let me just tell you, if you're, if you're like sub-18, probably if you're older than that, like your parents have a perspective of your life that you can't possibly fathom. And so when they give you a curfew, when they, get, when they take your phone away, when they do something like that, it's because they have a viewpoint for your life that you just can't see yet. That, that's a whole thing. Just on your own, parents, you're welcome. You can, whatever, thank me later. <laughs> But right now, like, that's the frustrating thing about perspective is when you have it, when you've seen something and you can't unsee it, typically what happens is nobody wants that from you. But the other side of, the other side of that coin is that when you don't have a certain perspective for your life, you're convinced you don't need it. And so I've been praying all week that we get to this moment in this message and that people would go, I want a different perspective for my life. I've been trying to live my own life. I've been trying to just do the things that I want to do. I've been living with this kind of motto of, I know best. I'm not going to do what God says. I'm not going to live the way that he calls me to. I'm just going to do what feels good, YOLO, right? I'm just going to have fun while we're here. I've been praying that at this moment, what you would see is that, no, actually God has a vision for your life of abundant life. One where you get to participate in bringing his good character into the world that we're living in. One where you get to experience life as a forgiven, free, chosen son, daughter of the God of the universe where you actually get to experience and encounter his presence. You get to be overwhelmed with this feeling of peace and joy and, and just eternal security, knowing that you are, you've, been, you've been paid for, you've been bought with a price. I've been praying all week that some of you would get to this moment right here and you would say, that's what I want. That's what I want. I, I want that life. Here's, here's how you get it. 
There's one way that you get to this eternal life. It's through death. It's through death. There is no ability to have a resurrection unless you've had death. And so here's, here's what I mean. I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm not saying you've got to literally die. I'm saying spiritually, you have to lay your life down. Because there is no resurrection if you have not first surrendered yourself. Jesus says it this way in the book of Matthew. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be one of my apprentices, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You have to have a moment where you say, no, 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 I I don't want what I want for my life. God, I want what you want for my life. Paul writes it this way in his letter to the Galatian church. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Like I've I've been killed with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is now Christ who lives in me. And that's, that's the only way to walk an abundant life is to have a moment where you surrender it all and you say, God, I don't want what I want for my life anymore. I want what you want for my life. I'm yours. You have my yes. And so what I would like to do is I would just like to give you this moment today where you could maybe surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. And, and through death, though you may die, he's gonna pick you up and you may live differently. That even though it's still going to be the same bag of bones that walked into this this church here this morning, it's actually going to be a different person who walked out of here. It's going to be me with Jesus, like looking for the life that he could bring into the life I'm living now. And so what I want to do is I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I'm I'm going to ask you, if you want to make this decision for the very first time to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand. And and you might say, oh my gosh, that's like the most terrifying thing of all time. Like, I don't want to stand, but... um, I'd venture to guess if you talk to any of the people who are in this room week in and week out, you would, they would, you would tell you a story of when they gave their life to Jesus and, and they can point you back to the very moment where they had a moment where they stood. Maybe they didn't stand literally in a crowd, but they said, no, I'm, I, this is going to be a line in the sand moment. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And so I, I think there's something profound that happens when we stand up. And right after you stand up, I'm going to have the rest of our church family stand with you. Because what I want you to see and what I want you to feel is that you, you weren't just saved um, from sin. You were, saved, you were saved for life, life that exists with a family that you now have all around you. Like mo- I'm looking around this room, I know most of you. You've all made this decision. A lot of you have made this decision. And so as we stand together, we're standing not alone. We're standing together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder as family. Amen? And so if you want to just give your life to Jesus for the first time today, I'm just going to count one, two, three, and I'd ask for you just to stand up right now. Stand up right now. If you want to take this bold step, I just ask that you would stand. I know that I've sinned. I have rebelled against the way that you've created the world to work. And so right now, God, I give myself to you. 
I surrender to you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus, you can have every part of me, and I pray that you would show me your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, and would you fill me up with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, no one stood up, I'm cool with that. If you just prayed that prayer, though, I'd just like to invite you to reach out on our website, and you can select the contact us button. And through that, I just we have some things we'd like to give to you. We have a, a resource, a 21-day devotional through the book of John. I think getting to read the book of John, you may not even own your own Bible, uh, but we'd love to just send you some stuff, get you equipped, get you set up so that you could start this journey. And I'd love to invite you just to keep plugging away to church. Maybe you're, maybe you're not at that surrender moment yet. Um, we'll, we'll be here next week. Because guess what? Like, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for the people of God. Amen? Like, we get to walk in this every single week. And so I would just invite you, come, come hang out. Maybe, maybe you're not there, but you're interested. Come hang out. Come be with us. Spend some time with us. I think you'll find that the church is a lot less filled with hypocritical people than you think it is. Every single one of us have made this decision where we've gone, God, you have, you've blown me away with your goodness. You saved a guy like me. You saved a girl like me. So just love, would love to invite you back to come hang. Um, for the rest of us, can we stand? And I think what's unique about Easter is it has the ability every Easter Sunday that for those of us who are lukewarm, uh, my invitation for you on this Easter Sunday is that there's, you can't have Jesus as Savior of, of your life until you have him as Lord of your life. And so I just want to invite you just to lay your life down and to go from being lukewarm, to go from being timid in your faith, to going, to being real, just pressing in and seeing what God has for you. And so as I pray, I'm gonna pray for you, but I'm also gonna pray for all of us who have made decisions to follow Jesus because guess what? I have pockets in my own life where I haven't surrendered. I have parts that I, that I did surrender at one point and then I tried to take them back. I was like, oh God, you want my finances too? Okay, wait, hold on, but I just have this idea of how to use my money real quick. God, wait, okay, my, my, my time. Like, okay, I know, yes, my time is yours, but hold on real quick, I just wanna do this one thing. We've all, we all have those pockets. We all have those areas. And so whatever it is, wherever it's at, God's gonna bring it to your heart. I want you just to lay it down in the feet of Jesus and just say, God, I'm yours. God, this Resurrection Sunday, as we marvel at the cross, as we marvel at the tomb, I'm reminded that I'm yours. So pray with me. Jesus, I ask that you would help us take a step forward in our faith today. Would we surrender ourselves to deeper water? Yes, it may be scary. Yes, we may be frightened. But God, you are a good God with a good plan for our life. And so right now in this moment, we give ourselves to you. There's people who's probably made this decision a long time ago, but you're realizing you've drifted over the last year. COVID's been, maybe it's been over the last 20 years. COVID's been rough. You didn't like church at home. This is the moment the Lord's calling you back in. He's saying it's time to go deeper. It's time to go further. I have more life that I want to offer to you. And so God, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you so that though we may die, we may live. We may live abundant, everlasting, eternal life starting right now. That's our prayer this morning. I pray that we be focused on you the rest of this day. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done, God. We love you. It is our joy to honor you and to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.